many intellectuals as necessary to preserving society. Again, it's the intellectuals that are um, pushing for this narrative, you know, the experts, and they're doing it for your safety. Don't you get it? with the topic of eugenics and forced sterilization. Now, um, when I was doing this research, I realized that eugenics and forced sterilization is actually a predominant worldwide pheno phenomenon and took place in the United States. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea we had laws on the books that related to these things, and I'm going to discuss that. And it's just uh, another thing that's very telling is what parts of history are talked about and which ones are not. Um, so let's get into it. In the paper, The Science of Eugenics, America's Moral Detour by Marilyn M. Singleton, MDJD, journal of, um, published by Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons, she goes on to proclaim that eugenics was thought of by many intellectuals as necessary to preserving society. Again, it's the intellectuals that are um, pushing for this narrative, you know, the experts, and they're doing it for your safety. Don't you get it? And she goes on to reference that the book, The Passing of the Race by Madison Grant, who inspired much of the legislation that was put into law in America, the eugenics and sterilization laws that we're going to discuss, as well as Hitler referred to this book himself as his Bible, and a lot of the American law and legislation as well as intellectual papers actually influenced the Nazis, and this book was listed as essential reading by the Nazis. And Madison Grant himself was an intellectual who was a lawyer and graduated from both Yale and Columbia. So since we're going to be discussing eugenics and sterilization, let's discuss what eugenics is. Eugenics is a science that deals with the improvement as control of human mating or hereditary qualities of race or breed. Negative eugenics is aimed at discouraging reproduction among those with hereditary traits perceived as poor, the so-called unfit, or genetically disadvantaged. And she mentions that eugenics is nothing new. It was actually done in Athens and Sparta where the elders inspected the newborns and deemed which were to live and survive and the strongest were those who were to survive. Also, the fourth table of the 12th table of Roman law state that deformed children would be put to death. It wasn't really until Judaism and Christianity that the rejection of the killing of infants was acknowledged as being evil and that the acknowledgement in general and the understanding of good and evil was brought upon humans because as many of you may not conceptualize good and evil right and wrong and all of these moral standards that we hold today are not prevalent throughout human history and it really was the revelation of God and with good and evil through like religions of Judaism and Christianity. And I know many of us think that because we're in 2021 that we can judge the past in the same standards of today because we're just much wiser. And I think it would do us great benefit as a society to humble ourselves and maybe not look down upon past, you know, humans in the past, but learn from them. So let's continue. Um, 
she goes on to say that like the title the science of eugenics and it reminds me today of trust the science you don't trust the science and that's what the many movements um and today many politicians and many of the movements i guess you could say on the left frame it as the science and it's like a taboo terminology they're very good at terminology which will which will kind of point out to you throughout this episode but you must trust the science same tactics different era you know what they say history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes then she goes on to explain that Sir, Fa Sir Francis Galton a scientist from Great Britain found the modern scientist oh wait he founded the modern science of eugenics. He discovered that fingerprints were unique to each person and that there is a genetic difference between fraternal and identical twins. By 1833, he coined the term eugenics for his new science of selective breeding. Another example was Gordon Lencium, a well-known Texas biologist and physician who in 1849 proposed a bill in Wisconsin mandating sterilization of mentally handicapped and others who, and other traits who deemed undesirable. Thankfully, that legislation was never brought to a vote, but so this eugenics and sterilization legislation was brought into the United States and was imposed as early as 1849. And now we're gonna go over some of the historical years of when they were introduced and even became law and many, uh, a few times actually was brought up in the Supreme Court. And this is history that I had, I never knew about. So. Maybe it's new news to you and maybe it's not. But um, actually the Immigration Restriction League that was founded in 1894 by three Harvard graduates, again, intellectuals, was the first American entity associated officially with eugenics. And they were against bringing in other ethnicities to preserve what they claimed the superior rate, the rice or the superior race, um, like, Madison Grant in the passing of the great race, the Nordic race. And so it was rooted in not only eugenics, but racism. In 1896, beginning with Connecticut, many states enacted marriage laws with eugenic criteria prohibiting anyone who was epileptic, imbecile, or feeble-minded from marrying. In 1897, Michigan State's legislator became the first in the country to pass four sterilization laws, but the governor vetoed the bill. 1890, renowned surgeon Albert Ashner learned to perform vasectomies and spoke at the American Medical Association, recommended them and recommended vasectomies for criminals, those with chronic inbreeds, imbeciles, and perverts. In 1898, Harvard professor Charles Davenport Davenport launched the American eugenics movement. His single gene theory, human traits were controlled by single genes and therefore inherited a, predi um, a predictable pattern. He believed that the human population could be improved by selective breeding, just like we do with animals. And so because of his theory, he thought that humans could improve society themselves by selecting which humans could survive, which ones could marry, and which ones could procreate, ultimately humans playing God. 
1902, David Starr Jordan, author of Blood of Nation, a study of the decay of races by the survival of the unfit. He scientifically concluded that human qualities and conditions such as talent and poverty were passed through the blood. So it wasn't just like your environment and your situation. You were poor because it was in your DNA. Trust the science. And then when they're wrong, even though they never admit they're wrong, the science changed. In 1903, the American Breeders Association, now called the American Genetic Association, was established. 1905, Dr. Thomas Watt Turner, a member of the NAACP, promoted a simulation eugenics, proposed that the, tal the talented 10th of all races should mix. The best blacks were as good as the best whites, so at least they were a little bit more modern as far as that other races could be of the same standard. Now, what's important today and what's important, ironically, even though this was in 1905, our founding, in our founding documents, all were created in God's image. And that's why that's important and what makes America unique, even though many times hist historically and even today we fall short of those ideals. In 1910, the American Breeders Association founded the Eugenics Record Office, ERO, whose first mission was to identify the most defective and undesirable Americans, at least 10% of the population. Funded, and this EFO was funded by the Andrew Carnegie Foundation. So it is important to know who's funding these movements and to know that a lot of times maybe some of the corporations that fund some of these movements, maybe it's a profit mo motive, maybe it's because they think it's the right thing to do, or maybe it's a little bit more sinister. Then let's continue. One of the first cases, or the first Supreme, the case that made it to the Supreme Court in 1927, Buck v. Bell Supreme Court case, made eugenical sterilization the law of the land. In this case, the plaintiff was Carrie Buck, a 14-year-old girl from Charlottesville. She was born out of wedlock. Her mother was a prostitute. The Virginia Colony Asylum decided that she would be institutionalized because she and her mother, her she and her mother Emma, shared the hereditary traits of feeble-mindedness and sexual um, promiscuity. So your actions are actually within your DNA, which is counter to us believing that we have free will, but she was told to be institutionalized for these things and a sociologist and Red Cross nurse examined her baby and decided she was below average and not quite normal. The judge then concluded that Carrie should be sterilized to prevent the future birth of defective children. And this was promoted as being in society's best interests as well as the future life of this baby that we know since it's in her blood, poor decisions is in her and her mother's blood, that this baby or future baby shouldn't even have the right to life because, you know, they're being convicted before they even commit a crime. In 1930, 33 states had compulsory sterilization laws in the United States. 1942 was another Supreme Court case, Skinner versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma was one of 13 states permitted involuntary, involuntarily sterilization of criminals. Jack Skinner, who was 13 times felon, the court struck down this law based on the 14th Amendment of Equal Protection Clause. 1974 was another Supreme Court case, Ralph versus Weinberger. Alabama took three girls ages 12, 14, and 16 to a doctor who inserted an IUD in one of them and sterilized the other two girls. The appeals court affirmed that 
and called for a new clear federal guidelines with respect to minors and called for a new clear guidelines with respect to um, adult, um, incompetent adults in order for them and um, incompetent adults saying that incompetent adults and minors cannot properly consent. And this is another movement that ties into this when we are saying that children and minors should have the ability to consent to surgeries to change their gender because that's within the transgender um the transgender movement and it's a very 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 slippery slope when you're allowing minors and children to make a decision that is life altering and cannot be reversed so i predict many court cases in the future to fall within that topic. So within the 1900s and 1970s in the United States, 64,000 people were forcibly sterilized within 30 states. North Carolina being one of the strictest in that an IQ test of 70 or lower or lower qualified for sterilization. State social workers could file a petition for sterilization in North Carolina. These atrocities and human rights violations were made by those who respected or are influenced and created the science. And they did it under scientific fact. You were to trust the science and it was in the benefit of the society at whole. Do you see the patterns and the tactics that, tactics that have been put into fruition in the past and are being replicated today? Be mindful of that, but if you don't know history, you don't stand for anything you can fall for anything and everything so a lot of these ideologies and these narratives were formulated by the experts and the intelligent sophisticated ones among us and when they're supported or facilitated by these intellectuals and then they're supported and forced by the state with no concern for civil liberties and individual rights and the article she ends with, and I quote, America's commitment to personal autonomy needs to continue to supersede any future efforts at government social control. But in today, in 2021, we're witnessing the government and private sector working hand in hand to variously work against the individual right for bodily and medical autonomy for us to choose what we want to do with our body. And if we want to take a vaccine, but they want to mandate it or else you were unable to participate in civil society. And if you were unvaccinated, you are dangerous. You're a disease spreader. What are they doing? What is this tactic? They are dehumanizing those who are unvaccinated and not doing what the experts say that they should do for the safety of society. But this is not unique to America. As we see today, it's happening much around the world with the vaccine situation. But as far as laws of eugenics and the ideas of eugenics and the laws and the, the um, facilitation of forced sterilization, it's actually a worldwide phenomenon. So let's go over some of the statistics. Sterilization in India, and this is BBC News 2014. The drive to sterilize um, the drive to sterilize began in the 1970s when encouraged by loans amounting to tens of millions of dollars from the World Bank, the Swedish Institution Development Authority, and the UN Population Fund. India embarked on an ambitious population control program. In 1975, when civil liberties were suspended, 
Sanjay Gandhi, son of the former Prime Minister Indira Gandhi, I apologize if I butcher those names, began was described by many as gruesome campaign to sterilize poor men. An astonishing 6.2 Indian men were sterilized in just one year, which was 15 times the number of people sterilized by the Nazis, according to the science journalist Mara Hivistandl. Again, I apologize for my pronunciation. Between 2013 and 2014, India carried out nearly 4 million sterilizations, according to official figures. Less than 100,000 of these surgeons were done on men, or surgeries were done on men. More than 700 deaths were reported due to the botched surgeries between 2009 and 2012. Peru for sterilization. Between 1996 and 2000, more than 270,000 women and 22,000 men were sterilized as part of a government-run birth control program, according to official figures from Peru's health ministry. 1996 to 2000, according to data released in 2002 by Peru's health ministry, 260,874 women had tubal ligation operations. Rights groups, the Latin American Committee on Rights says that as few as 10% of them may have given consent. Japan for sterilization, and this is from Nippon in um, Nippon.com 2018. In 1914, Japan followed the example of Nazi Germany by passing its own national eugenic law. The law permitted forced sterilization in the public's interest. For the, it's for your safety. It's for the public's safety. In case of people hereditary mental disabilities and other genetic conditions, doctor could recommend sterilization to perfectual eugenic protection committees. Following a screening by the committee, sterilization could be then carried out not only by people with hereditary mental illness um, or other clearly genetic conditions, but regular mental patients as well. So it's up to the doctor and the social committee to deem if you should have the right to life or not. Again, humans playing God. By the 1950s, more than 1,000 people were subject to forced sterilization every year in Japan. In 1996, the law and eugenic policies was scraped in its entirety and replaced by the Maternal Health Act. By this time, a total of 16,250 people had been sterilized under the Eugenic Protection Act over a period of 48 years. 1970s, some doctors and people in charge didn't care. They still thought that the mental health institutions continued to believe that sterilization was an appropriate response to mental illness, both for the individual and public interests, and continued to recommend the operations of um, many who were sterilized without any explanation, including minors, mental patients, and, um, and children, which are minors. So, um, but as you can see in that in that writing, it's for the individual because they know what's best for you as well as for the public interest. It's for your safety. I'm going to keep saying that. It's for your safety. They're here to help. So Sweden forced sterilization between 1937 and 1975 regarding the sterilization laws that were in place in Sweden. An estimated 60,000 people were involuntarily sterilized. Australia forced sterilization. The legal scheme allows courts to decide whether or not to medically eliminate an individual's um, procreative 
ability if he or she is deemed mentally unstable to understand the consent of the procedure, provided that the courts find the procedure to be a patient's best interest. And this was called out by the UN in 2014. So Australia still have these laws on the books that they can force sterilization upon people. And in 2013, the Senate in Australia had ruled that the involuntary involuntarily the involuntary sterilization will not be banned and will remain lawful. And that was in 2013. And so you can see, as we started off with this episode, population control. We must control the population in order to sustain human life. So we must either prevent more life to be brought onto Earth, or we should raise the death rate, because those are the two options, in order to sustain human life. So the irony in that, in order to sustain human life, we must prevent it or kill it. So it starts with population control, and that is to make life more enjoyable for those here on Earth, as well as to the green and the environmental movement to preserve life and Earth. So you have population control, you have the green movement, and then followed by or enforced by eugenics and sterilization. And all this is done by or made okay by dehumanizing those people, whether they be the mentally ill, whether they be criminals, whether they be political adversaries, whether they be those who are unvaccinated. And it goes on to continue, this is another movement, abortion. Because when you dehumanize people and you think that humans can then play God and decide who should live and who should not, and that pop, like having less people on earth is actually a good thing and that we should have less children. And when you corrode biology because men can be women, women can be men, and also that it's not a baby, it's just a clump of cells that makes it acceptable and in cases even promoted to kill the unborn in the form of abortion. And this is touted as healthcare. Abortion is healthcare. Abortion is a human right. It is your human right to end the life of another human right. And it should be pro-choice. My body, my choice. It's under the guise of planned parenthood. Rather than planning to be a parent on when you should have sex, you should you have, you know, responsible sex, and are you ready to be a parent, if not, maybe not having sex, and I'm not saying I'm a saint, obviously, but I'm just saying they're very good at their terminology, planned parenthood, but instead it's not really planned parenthood, it's killing the inconvenience and then just not becoming a parent. Um, so let's go over some of the statistics and the ideas behind this movement. In 2018, the CDC statistic in the United States, 619,591 legal induced abortions were reported from 49 reporting areas, according to the CDC. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, 62,502,904 babies have been killed by abortion in the United States. That's a lot of deaths. 
And this movement was really started by Margaret Sanger. She was a eugenics that believed in human of selection as to what babies should have a chance to live and what babies should not. She founded the American Birth Control League in 1912 and the Birth Control Federation of America, now Planned Parenthood, was established in 1939 and it became Planned Parenthood in 1942. Planned Parenthood is, in my opinion, again correlated with all these other movements of population control, eugenics, who has the right to live and who not, and even which races are superior. So 79% of Planned Parenthoods are walking distance of black and Hispanic neighborhoods. In New York, more babies, black babies are likely to be aborted than to be born alive. So Planned Parenthood actually, when all these people are promoting that it's liberating to have an abortion and that it shouldn't be judged it should actually in some cases be celebrated is it why is that i'll let you think about that based off what i've talked about and some of the statistics that i read but why is that so let's go over some more statistics worldwide in india abortion um india abortion a study published in the late in the lancet health global medical journey journal found that at least 15.6 million abortions are committed every year the government had been consistently reporting about 700,000, but that doesn't count private abortions or self-administered at home. Japan, 1950, more than a million abortions were carried out every year based on official reports. Japan became one of the first countries in the world to legalize and liberate abortion and become known as the abortion paradise. It's disgusting. China's one-child policy. So as we know, China, not only are they egregious on a human rights violation, but they are specifically egregious on abortion. Many of us know that um, China, who's had the world's largest population, but India is, it might may soon lose that to India. In the early 1970s, when Mao was in charge, he died in 1976, China made a dramatic shift from voluntary family planning to mandatory birth limits under the slogan, later, longer, fewer, because they were trying to control the population because they were fearful of the population bomb. You see how this is all intertwined? In 1980, the Chinese Communist Party, CCP, launched an even more damning or damaging and coercive campaign that attempted to attempted for the next 35 years to limit Chinese families to having only one child. 330 million abortions since the policy was first enacted in 1980. 330 million. That is 13 million abortions every single year. Many of which are women because men are deemed more, you know, stronger and again, humans playing God on who should live and who should not. In 2015, the CCP decided to end the one child limit with Chinese families since January 1st, 2016, allowed to have two children, but no more than um, but no more, at least as of 2019. The government mandated uh, devices for women giving birth to their first child, and women who had multiple children were frequently subje subjected to forced sterilization. This policy was resulted in a large imbalance between men and women. So because they 
aborted so many women versus aborting so many men, the gender ratio of 120 boys through to 100 girls, which left about 17% of China's young men unable to find Chinese wife, which is a big issue because if men are unable to, you know, that is, we are humans, you aren't able to find a loved one or to have that sexual interaction with people that is going to cause a lot of frustration with the men in China. And it's actually bred a or promoted a slave trade in China, which many um, happen to come from North Korea. I've read a recent book by Yamni Park where she actually escaped North Korea into China and was put into the slave trade. So that is another symptom from this um, forced sterilization or even abortion in the case of the China's one child's policy. And going back to, so we obviously know that was a bad policy and it's had many bad outcomes, not to mention it was very immoral and it violated the rights of individual rights of humans to have babies and to have families and it was forced by the government and even though we know this was a bad policy and it was evil there are still intellectuals who promoted it